Very excited to be uh, able to preach this evening. Uh, very thankful because I know many of you have been praying for all of us that have been involved in preaching and in teaching and in stepping in while pastor's been away. And I, I would guarantee you that that's a great reason as to why things have gone so smoothly while he's been away. So we definitely appreciate all the prayers and everything that's gone into your guys' part in everything that's been going on while pastor's been away. Uh, now, this evening, um, I'm preaching on a text, and uh, Franz actually started mentioning and going to it as a reference on Thursday night. And the thing about preaching is I had actually selected, and I knew what I was going to be preaching on about two and a half, maybe three weeks ago. And whenever Brother Franz went to that, it, it's kind of one of those things where you're preaching, and then when people start going near your text, you start getting really protective, and you're like, no, back away, just keep going. And so a couple of times, and then I was thinking, if he goes into this one, at least I have Anita as a witness because I told her the text about a week and a half to two weeks ago so she could prepare for it because I knew there might be some difficulty in, some, in signing some things. So I was like, at least I have a witness. So if he does go into too much of my text, I have proof. But luckily he didn't really go into too much. Now, this evening, if you do have your Bibles, we're going to be in two places, so I'll have you turn to both of them, bookmark the one, and then turn to the other one, and we're going to be going back and forth between the both, both of the passages, so make sure that when you're, you bookmark one and you turn to the other, don't lose your place. Uh, the first one, the main text we're going to be in this evening is in Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 8, but for later, have your bookmark in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11. But our, our main text is going to be here in Matthew chapter 8. Now, I, I, I was reading on, on this, this pretty interesting story. Um, there was this gentleman, and while you're turning to Matthew 8, I'll just tell you about the story. Um, there was this gentleman, and he was, a, he was in the army. And he was stationed in Fort Bragg, near North Carolina. And something had happened in the paperwork, and there was an error. And something had set him up. He was a supply clerk. He was just in charge of taking care of inventory and different things. He didn't really do anything else on the military base, but something had happened, and he was a part of the 82nd Airborne Division, and he was given orders to jump out of a plane. And... On whatever day this was, he went and he was ordered to jump out of the plane and he had no formal, no formal training. He didn't go through any of the, of the training on how to use a parachute or anything else like that. He was just told to jump out of the plane. Now, whenever I think about jumping out of a plane, I've never done it. I know my, my cousin did it for his birthday when he turned 30 a couple years ago. But that takes a tremendous amount of faith. Like, I, if... For the lack of, better, of a better term, that would be a big leap of faith as we think about it. Jumping out of a plane is a tremendous leap of faith. Now, I don't know about you, but as a believer, I don't think any of us desire mediocrity. Not one of us says, you know what, I want to do just enough for God. I don't want to do anything like really special. I don't want to do anything important. I don't want to be anything special. None of us has dreams of being, eh. We don't really have goals to be nothing. Now, often we end up being mediocre, but I guarantee you that none of us settle, set out to say, I want to be...
be very unimportant and unuseful to God. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody has a goal of being useless. That's not our goal. Now, I think of, when we think as believers, our goal is to do something of great faith. We want to do something great. We want to do something magnificent. We want to pe- people to look back at our lives and say, wow, he demonstrated great faith. Now, in the passage this evening, we're actually going to read the story. And according to Jesus' own words, the gentleman in this story demonstrated greater faith than all those in Israel at that time. And what I want to do this evening is look at what it is about this gentleman that demonstrated great faith. What is it that this gentleman did that would cause Jesus to say, he has great faith? And then carrying that over, how we can demonstrate that same faith. Now, the message this evening has a simple title. It's how to take a leap of faith. Now, we're going to read here. In Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 5, we're going to read through verse 13, starting in Matthew 8, chapter 5. It says this, And when Jesus entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only. And my servants shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, And shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. If you would go to the Lord and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this evening, Lord. Pray that you would... Uh, Be with me now. Be with my lips and help me to speak clearly. Pray, Lord, that you would be with all the hearts of those here this evening and those that would listen, that they would uh, be touched by you and that you would work in their lives, Lord. Ask you to bless this service. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we look at this, this story is a very simple story about a centurion that comes to Jesus. And, you know, Brother Franz mentioned on this one, you know, as, as as the centurion comes to Jesus... The first thing he does is he comes to him and, set, and asks Jesus, you know, I have, I have a servant who is sick. Now, at first, Jesus says in verse 7, I will come and heal him. Now, that gives us God's intention. God says, I am going to heal your servant. So already, this centurion knows that Jesus' or God's will is that his servant be healed. Now, it's not as though... Whenever the centurion came, he just said, hey, Jesus, say the word, my servant will be healed. He understood that God's will was for his servant to be healed first. And so Jesus, or the centurion in response says, you know, it's not necessary for you to come to my home to heal him. I understand, as a person under authority myself, that you can come and you can just simply speak the word and my servant will be healed. And the centurion makes an explanation of why he believes this. And he explains... Okay, well, as a centurion, 
I have responsibilities under Caesar. And under, according to these responsibilities, I have to answer to Caesar and I have to answer to those in charge of me. And, and in the same turn, those who are under my authority must listen to what I say. Now, to disobey anyone that is above you in the chain of command could easily be a sentence of death. And so the centurion understood this chain of command and the authority. And so as the centurion is speaking, he says, well, I have a servant. If I tell him to go, he has to go. If I tell him to come over here, he has to come over here. If I tell my servant to do something, he has to do it. And he, when Jesus heard that, he said that demonstrates great faith. Now, it was understanding that Jesus had authority to be able to heal. The centurion, when he was making the statement, he was saying, I have authority in this realm over this servant and that servant. And he said to Jesus, in his words, he says, I understand that you have authority in that realm. In regards to creation, in regards to healing, in regards to this, even the supernatural or miraculous, he said, you have authority. And he, he believed in that authority. And that was why he was able to say that. And then Jesus looked at that and said, that right there is a great demonstration of faith. Now, when I, when I think about that, I, I look at that and I say, well, why exactly is that a demonstration of faith? You know, what exactly in that demonstrates faith? I was really curious and I wanted to look at it in, in regards to what we think of, of faith being. I wanted to see, well, how does this really relate to faith? And so many of you are very familiar with Hebrews chapter 11. It's considered like the hall of faith or the, the book of faith, the chapter of faith. And I want you to turn over there and I want to look at what faith is in the Bible, and then we can compare and see what this passage has in common to what the Bible teaches us in Hebrews about faith. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 6, it says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6, it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, it also says in verse 3, Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, in this passage, oftentimes, you know, we think, oh, well, faith is just the substance of this and that and the other. And... There's, there's a word that we kind of overlook often, I think, when we look at, try to, we look at substance. Because many of you understand the word substance. It's, you know, it's not just something. It doesn't mean it's just tangible. The word substance means kind of like the under support. It's actually from a Greek word mean, meaning hypostasis. It's the, kind of the, the foundation. That means it's the basis for things. So we're told here that faith is the basis. Now, that word things means practice or perform repeatedly. It actually has to do with things or actions that we do on a regular basis. So 
faith here, it, this is more of a description rather than a definition. But the idea is that faith is the substance or the basis for why we do things regularly or habitually. So it, it, it says that faith isn't just this thing where you're going to take a great leap on one occasion or another occasion. It's a regular, consistent, over the time, doing the same thing out of habit. So when we think about faith, and in the context of Christianity, we're following God, the idea is that faith is the basis for why we obey and do the things God tells us to do on a regular basis. And right here, faith is not described or defined as something that's here and there or every once in a while. It's a habitual condition. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever met a habitual liar, but what is the one thing that a habitual liar does all the time? They lie all the time. That's habitual. That means that sometimes they don't even have a reason to lie other than they lie. It's like, hey, you ask them a question, and there's no reason for them to lie. It's just that they habitually lie. So they're automatic reaction is to lie. They get in such a habit of it that that's their, their go-to response. It's like, hey, what did you do this week? Oh, I, I did this. And you know they're lying to you, but they're so habitual about it. And that's the idea here. When it comes to faith, it's, it's actually the reason behind why we would do things on a regular basis. So, a person who is habitual... In Bible reading, what do you think they're going to do as a default response when they have a problem? They'll habitually go to the Bible. It's the idea of a habit. You have some people who, when they get stressed, the first thing they want to do is grab a cigarette. They're a habitual smoker. If somebody's first response and reaction to stress is to drink alcohol, they're a habitual drinker. If somebody's first reaction to stress is to read the Bible, they are a habitual Bible reader. Your habits, your habitual go-tos, those are your habits. That's what you actually have your basis is, your your faith is, that's your go-to. And so in faith, this right here, the description of faith is that this is your go-to response. It's something you do out of habit. Now... Oftentimes, we can look at maybe a Christian or people can look at Christians from the outside, outside of church context, and they would say, sometimes, sometimes what we do is very crazy, or it can be very religious. Now, the idea here is not religious habit. It's the idea that it's spiritual habit. And so, in here, the, the fact is that Jesus, or in Hebrews, it's demonstrating the fact that faith is the basis, or it's the foundation of why Bible reading, or prayer, or going to God with our problems is habitual. It's because there's faith there. It's, it's a habitual thing. It's not like a, a great, miraculous event once in our lives. It's a day-to-day basis. Now, if you go over to verse 6, it, it kind of deepens this and says why faith is important. And it gets into more of what faith is actually about or what faith really is. See, I think sometimes we look at chapter or verse one as being the definition of faith, 
and we look at verse 6 as being the description, but it's actually kind of the opposite. Verse 1 is the description of faith. Verse 6 is the definition of faith. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, when we think about God, we take, if you look at a a theological book, it has a list of all these things that describe God. Now, I want, I want to read some of these, and all these are true. I want you to think about this. God is gracious. God is love. God is holy. In the Bible, it actually says, holy, holy, holy. God is good. God is changing, unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is spirit. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is righteous. God is jealous. God is kind. God is merciful. The list can go on and on. And all of those, all of those things describe attributes or characteristics of God. But this verse right here, it, it describes what faith is. It defines it. It's not looking at God as a list of things or a list of attributes. I want you to read this verse with me. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Who in here knows English very well? What's that thing after the is? It's a comma. Now, that comma separates from what's coming next. But here's the thing. The way that comma functions in that sentence, it could just as easily be a period in that sentence and still work grammatically. Because the point is, That he or the person that comes to God must believe that God is. Period. Now, what happens is we get this idea that we have to look at God in a list of all these attributes and descriptions. But faith is believing that God is. Period. See, the the thing that happens is, especially when you look at in the idea of religion as a habit... That's why a lot of people, when they look at Christians and they look at religion in general, they dismiss it. Because a lot of times it's just, it really is just a crutch or it is an excuse. But they don't actually have a faith in God. Because all they have is, they have a faith in a God that is love. But they don't want to believe anything else about God. See, because what happens is, when we take God and make him into a list of attributes and a list of adjectives then we can make God whoever we want him to be. That's what all these religions out there do. Every religion, every false religion out there, and I think Brother Franz mentioned this morning, you have all these different weird ideas that some religions come up with where there's no basis in the Bible. There might be a verse that's taken out of context, but it doesn't fit the whole of what God is intended in anything. Why would people think that baptism saves somebody? Why would people think that sprinkling a baby gets them into heaven? That's really a ridiculous idea when you look at it in light of Scripture. But what it is, it's taking something out of context or taking a description of God and saying, this is God. See, a God that is a list of adjectives allows us to pick and choose what kind of God we want. This verse right here, it says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. See, 
A God who is requires us to fit his descriptions and his definitions and his authority. When we pick what we want about God, we pick who we have as God. When we come to God who is, then we have to follow his rules. What happens is, and I pastors mentioned this before, God is. He is I am. A God who is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you think about it, in the past, God was is. Now, God is is. In the future, God is still going to be is. If you go all the way back in eternity, before time was even a thought, God is. When you look in the future, millions of years, after time has ended, God is. He's always going to be is. He is forever. He is... Now, when we think about forever, we think about our timeline. We think about me going on forever. But that's not God. God goes forever back. And he goes forever forward. It, it, it's hard to really even understand. But that's the thing. God is. And... Sometimes when we try to wrap God into what we are, we can find God into this small box because we have all these attributes that we can define, but God is beyond definition. Many of the descriptions, many of the attributes, they only touch on who God is. And this is the essence of faith right here. It says that he comes to God must believe that he is. And it ends there. It, 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 that could be a period. It's it, He is. That's the authority. And that's the understanding that faith is really believing that God is. Now, when you consider a God who is, that God has authority in every realm. There's nothing that, that escapes his authority. There's nothing that escapes his command. Everything is under his command. Everything is under his authority. There's nothing that escapes his eye. Everything... Everyone, every person is responsible to that God. Now, all the religions that pick and choose and say this, you look at them and either they have hate or they have a rampant acceptance of immorality and all these different things, it's because they've chosen the attributes of God they want to follow. They've chosen what God they want they haven't come to God as who God is. Now I want you to turn back over to the centurion in Matthew chapter 8. And I want, to see, I want you to see exactly how this faith was demonstrated by this centurion. You see, in the realm, if you look, and if you consider the context of where the centurion is, he is in Israel. He is among the Jewish people. He is among the people... Who know the word of God? If you consider the Pharisees, they are well versed in the scripture. They know everything about God. If you wanted to ask them a question about God, they could tell you. They knew. Every Jew knew. It wasn't just a special few that knew. Every Jew knew pretty much everything about God. The problem is, once you look in verse 11 and 12, it says this. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west 
and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, when Jesus is speaking to this this centurion, this centurion is most likely a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And all the Jewish people had this idea that they're the only ones who are going to heaven. They had this idea that all the Gentiles were already condemned by God. And Jesus is saying here, well, no, you see, these Gentiles, all these people are going to come from all over the world. And they're going to come and they're going to submit to my authority and they shall see the kingdom of God. But all these people who have chosen their religion and have chosen what they want about God, they're going to come to me and they're going to be cast out. These people who claim a religion or claim to know me but refuse to acknowledge me are going to come to me and are going to be cast out into outer darkness. See, this centurion demonstrated faith that all of those who knew everything about God didn't demonstrate. And I want you to notice verse 13. Jesus makes a very clear representation of this. He says, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. See, he, Jesus recognized his belief. What did the centurion believe? He believed that Jesus is. He believed that, Je- he believed that Jesus had authority. He didn't come to Jesus and, and ask him or demand of him anything. He said he made, he made his need known to Jesus. Jesus said, I will answer it this way. And the centurion believed him because he said, you know what? I am under authority. And because I'm under authority, I understand what authority means. And I understand that you, and if you look back, Jesus had just preached the Sermon on the Mount. And all the people that heard Jesus were, were amazed because he spoke with authority. He commanded a presence. People believed him. He had authority. He had power behind his words. And this centurion maybe had heard rumors. Maybe he had heard about Jesus. But he knew Whoever this man was, maybe he had just seen him teach just at this moment. But this centurion knew, this man, this Jesus, he, he has authority. He has power. And this centurion understood that I have this chain of command that I am under. Jesus is under the same chain of command, and he's over everything. And he believed that Jesus is. And because of that faith, he was able to see his servant healed. And Jesus made the statement that this man just demonstrated greater faith than all those in Israel. Which is really interesting, too, because at this point, we have disciples that are following Jesus. Those would have been included in all. This centurion had a deeper faith, according to Jesus, than even some of the disciples at that point. Now, many of the disciples, they led and they became apostles and everything else. But the thing is... They were included in that statement. The disciples who were following Jesus at this point, this centurion demonstrated even a greater faith than disciples who had forsaken their whole lives to follow him. This centurion demonstrated a great, greater faith because he understood the, the idea that God is. Now, that story I mentioned earlier about this gentleman who jumped out of the plane, it's a very interesting story. His name was Jeff Lewis. He was 23. And he actually landed unhurt, completely safe, completely fine. And they asked him, you know, what, what was he thinking? And he said, 
he was just doing what a good soldier is supposed to do when he made the jump. Follow orders. This is his quote. The army said I was airborne qualified. I wasn't going to question it. That guy that jumped out of the plane. He didn't know what he was doing. But he was a soldier. And maybe he had seen guides. Maybe he had watched instructional videos. But maybe he wasn't completely trained. Whatever reason, the army said, you're qualified to jump out of a plane. And he's like, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm going to jump out of the plane. They say I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, earlier, I told you that the, the title of this message was how to make or how to take a leap of faith. That was actually kind of a little bit of a misdirection because really we don't take a leap of faith. See, the common idea about faith is that greater actions or perceived greater actions come as a result of a deeper faith. Oh, did you see what that guy did? He has great faith. That's what we think. We think, oh, you know what? I'm going to do greater things for God the more I have faith. And we think, oh, I'll pray, I'll, I'll get more faith, I'll get more faith, I'll get more faith. And we think we'll do greater things. We have this equation in our head that greater faith equals greater works. But that's really not the, the idea here. First of all, we have to realize that it has nothing to do with our faith. Because remember when Jesus said a little bit of faith can move a mountain? Faith as small as a mustard seed? It's because it's not the faith that actually does great things, it's the object of that faith. It's the fact that we have a faith in God. God is the one who does it. Our faith isn't what makes God move. It's not what gives God power. God has power, and when we have faith, we believe in that power. Our faith doesn't give God his power. He has it all. Now, the, really, the, the truth of the matter is this. A leap of faith will only look like a leap of faith to those on the outside. To the person following God, a leap of faith is nothing more than another step. I want you to think about that. A leap of faith only looks like a leap of faith to those that are looking at you. But in reality, a leap of faith is simply you taking another step. Now, as... I was thinking about this, this message and about this sermon. It, it, it comes down to this idea that we have this, these misconceptions about what faith is. And we think, oh, well, great faith is going to be these great actions. And I want to do this and I want to do this for God. And faith is really just taking the next step that you know you're supposed to take. And I want to actually encourage you because... So often we look at the Bibles and we look at all the great stories. We look at all the incredible things, especially when you look at Hebrews 11, all the great things that all these people have done throughout all of time. And we think, oh, I, you know, faith is wrapped up in me doing these great things. But it's not. It's you trusting God, you believing that he is and he has authority. And when you believe in his authority, it's the basis for why you would do things on a habitual basis. It's you faithfully serving every day consistently. When you do great things, all, just imagine, consider all those, the list of all the people in Hebrews, chapter 11, 
the great things they did for faith. I guarantee you none of them planned on doing those particular things. It came up as a course of them following God. And as they followed God in their everyday lives, the moment came when they had to continue on in that faith. For every one of them, it was no small task for them to do great magnificent things because they trusted God the whole time. When those three Hebrew boys were thrown into the furnace in Daniel, that really wasn't a great faith. That wasn't really a great step of faith for them. Remember what they said? Eh, if, if God wants us to burn, we'll burn. Whatever. They didn't care because they didn't look at their situation. They didn't think, oh, well, look, we're going to be, the story's going to be told. They're like, you know what? We might burn up. So be it. They were following God. That was just the next step for them. When Daniel prayed, think about Daniel when he prayed. He was there, and he was going to get thrown in a lion's den. Now, we think of faith as being, oh, they passed a law that we can't pray. Let's start praying. No, they passed a law against prayer because he was praying already. They wanted him to get in trouble for what he was doing already to serve God. See, his faith didn't happen. It was what he was doing already the whole time. Remember David when he took down Goliath? What do you say? He's, is there not a cause? What are you doing? Don't you know what God we serve? And he's out there bad-mouthing him. He took him out because he was bad-mouthing God. He didn't look at the situation as a great step of faith. He was just like, come on. He's challenging God. The next step is to go after him. That's what faith is. Now, in our everyday lives, this is what it boils down to for us. So often we think of, well, you know, I want to do something great. I want to do something magnificent. I want to change the world. You know what you need to do? You need to take every day as an opportunity to serve God. Be faithful where you are. Now, in the history of this church, one, many of you have come here through miraculous events, different things that were worked out in your lives, different things that if you tried to explain to people how it happened, you'd be like, Hold on, sit down for a couple hours. I got, a, I got a story to tell you about how you ended up here. Every one of you has a great story that really, if you look at it, demonstrates great faith, but it's through your everyday actions of following God every day. And going forward, it, it's not you having to look for a big event to have to be involved in. If God has something big for you to do, it'll come up in his time. Brother Franz, when you got to start the church, you know what? Between now and then, there are going to be a lot of things that are going to be coming up. I don't even know what they are. You don't even know what they are. You and Sonia are going to face challenges and have excitement and different things. You have no clue what's facing you. But I can tell you this. If you serve God every day and just obey Him every day, when you get to those things, they'll seem like nothing. You'll be like, God's got it. Whenever pastor and them, they started looking at this church here. Um, the, the price of this building and everything else here, crazy. Everyone who looks at it says, wow, that's a great leap of faith. But you know what? Really, they were simply doing the next step in obedience. They're starting a church here. What do they need? A building. God wants them to have a building. Okay, well, there's a building that's available. Let's put down an offer. Let's take it. If God doesn't want us to have it, he won't let us have it. That's faith. It's doing that 
on a regular basis. And those moments will come up when you have an opportunity to demonstrate great faith for God. But it's the simple things every day. It's serving God. And the thing that's really exciting about that for me, especially when I'm thinking about a sermon to everyone here, you know what, sometimes you might think, well, you know what, I, I'm just me. I don't have anything important to do. That's exactly who this message is for. If you think that your life, you're looking at your life, you're looking at the task ahead of you, you're thinking, well, I'm not going to do anything great for God. I'm not going to accomplish anything. I, I, you know, it, it's just me. That's exactly who God wants to use. He wants to use you. He wants to use you right where you are. There's going to be incredible things. It doesn't matter how old, how young you are. It doesn't matter where you are in life. God has incredible things for you to do. And it's going to come up as you continue to serve him every day. And the simple things to do that are what's mentioned all the time. Read your Bible and pray regularly, all the time. Make it habitual, like in Hebrews, with faith. It's the idea of being faithful in church. You know you're supposed to be in church. Be in church. Y'all are here. See? How simple is that? It's doing that regularly. It's having that be your go-to. That's what you do. And when it comes to witnessing and testifying and being a witness to your friends and your family, your coworkers, doing that faithfully... It's going to be those opportunities. As you do that all the time, more and more opportunities will present themselves and you'll be able to see more and more people come to know Christ. It may be just one, maybe just one a year. But just consider this. If uh, every Christian in this church were to reach one person a year, I think it's statistically that in, within 20 years, you can see millions of people saved. It's the law of, you know, what, multiplication, exponential growth. It's the faithful stuff every day. So this evening, just a, a good challenge for you to look at all these great things that people do for God and realize that by simply obeying Him every day and following Him in your everyday life, that is what's going to reap those great rewards. That's what's going to allow you to see great things happen. Now, your life may seem mundane right now, but just keep plugging away. It gets better. It gets more exciting. You'll face challenges. You'll see great things happen that you'll never, you never could have imagined. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from your word. Pray, Lord, that you would be with every heart this evening. Pray that everything was a challenge and an encouragement to them. Pray, Lord, that anyone who may be struggling or having... Uh, doubts or just having a hard time following you, Lord. Pray that you would just be an encouragement and and encourage them and and challenge their lives just to continue following you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so this evening...